Good afternoon. Today is January 23rd, 2019, and here we are at Heads Up Missouri. I am Missouri State Senator Jill Shoup. I'm State Representative Tracy McCreary. Hi, I'm State Representative Deb Lavender. And we have a Shine Theory guest here today with us. We have invited Heather Silverman, who, among other things, works with NCJW, the National Council for Jewish Women, National Council of Jewish Women. I'm a member, a lifetime member, right. you think I would know, <laughs> as well as she is a city council person in the city of Creve Corps back home. I am, and actually, it just occurred to me that I think everybody here is a member of NCJW, oh, so that's exciting. That's not why we invited you, though. <laughs> we, we like to support good organizations doing good work. Thank you. Well, we're delighted to have you here, and we're going to actually start with a conversation about what's going on in the House and Senate, and not much yet in the House. A lot of technical session days, but we do have some budget committee hearings going on in Deb. If well, today will. was first day of budget. So we I started the morning at 8. It's 4.30 now. I started the morning at 8 in budget. We broke, I'm sorry, appropriations, health, mental health, and social services. We went to the floor at 10. We were back in the appropriations committee at 10.45 to go to 11.30 when we were very kindly given half an hour for lunch to go into budget at 12 to go back into appropes at 2 and we finished appropes at about quarter of 4 so we're back to the budget schedule which means kind of all day mm -hmm. the very concerning information right now about Missouri's budget and Senator Shoup you brought this up last week to a, a degree we are today 400 million dollars short on our budget about 10 percent of projected revenue for where we were this time a year ago we do think it's because as a state, we have under withheld taxes that people will owe the state. So in your weekly, bi-weekly, monthly paycheck, you did not have enough state tax taken out. And the concern on top of that is you may not have had enough federal tax taken out. As I call it, Trump's Christmas present, December of 17 was his major tax cut. And everybody was excited because it was going to save people taxes. Not everybody. That's true. Certainly not everybody. But there were new withholding tables that had to be established, so you paid less taxes. Everybody, federal government, state government, apparently Idaho is almost in the same situation that Missouri's in. We feel it's because we've underwithheld taxes from people. So budget today was the Department of Revenue telling us that it was a long-term formula problem in the tables that because of deductions, so you used to be able to deduct each kid, but now you're gonna get a standard deduction. But because of that, it multiplied the table that we were always using and the formula error that had been there for 10 or 15 years was magnified. Mm. And that's the only problem that we're having that has us be $400 million short on revenue. I had heard there was another mistake also included in that, and the Department of Revenue said, no, it was just a formulary issue. So there may be a difference of opinion on some of that. Well, so I was just going to say, so for the people listening, and we talked about this before, and we've committed to talking about it week after week so that people are aware and prepared, but come April 15th when your taxes are due, you are likely to either owe more if you owe some, or if you were supposed to get a refund, you will get a lower refund, right. and or maybe no refund, maybe no and refund. maybe owe, but you need to be prepared right. because you still have to pay that money even right. though the formula was wrong. The taxes that you eventually will owe will not be incorrect. We know you're still going to owe the taxes that you owe, 
It's just that we've underwithheld how people normally pay their taxes. And so, Senator Shoup, you're right. It's like a balloon note at the end, right? A big yes. payment will be due. Right. And a lot of people do their taxes. So you know how you write down zero on your W-4 because you want a little bit more held every week because then you will get a refund. It's not tax prudent to do that. It's not financially prudent to do that. But a lot of people do it because they get 200 300 400 $500 back in March or April, and they budget on that. It's kind of a, a cheap way to save money, right? So people who may have always done it that way, when you wrote down zero, you had a little bit more taken out. That zero now works the opposite way. So if you put down zero, we've actually withheld less money instead of withheld more money. Okay. It's complicated. Most people don't ever go back and change their W-4. Right. But hopefully we're going to be able to get education out for people to be able to. And yes, if you used to get $150, $200 refund, we now think you might owe $70 or $80. That's just in state tax. The almost bigger concern is you're going to owe federal tax. And if you owe federal tax, you're likely to owe more federal tax and you're going to have to owe state tax. And so people might be in a pinch. And currently, if you don't pay those on time, you're going to actually end up paying interest on those debts that you will owe to the government. There's penalty and there's interest. Minority Leader Representative Quaid has a bill that if you're in that situation, we want to forgive penalty and we want to forgive interest and give you a couple of extra months to pay that bill. Representative Kendrick put it extremely well in budget today. We now, as representatives of people in our state, are in a terrible position of keeping our fingers crossed that our constituents owe us more money. Right, to make up this big to budget hole up the big of budget 400 hole, yes. million plus. What a horrible position. I now have to hope that we're going to balance the budget because our constituents owe us more money than we've withheld from. So that's the good news from the budget. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Isn't that a great way to start off the year? No, but I do think people need to be aware. So I think it's really important because people need to make plans if they can to deal with this if the law doesn't change. In well, terms this is of new information. This is one of the reasons I like sitting around a table with you ladies because I learn something every time. So thank you for updating us on this. Well, and it's something we need to educate our people. There's not a whole lot more time between now and April 15th, but there is still some time for people to maybe at least know that this could come at them. I don't know how you plan until you actually know what you get or don't get, but at least the awareness that it Mm -hmm. might be coming at you is is good to know. And the only last thing is also health, mental health, social services. There's not a person who testifies in front of us today that isn't telling us that they need more money to do the services that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And once again, I know in March on our house floor, when I ask for more money for peer-to-peer recovery from drugs, for child care, for autism care, for transportation of people with disabilities. When we ask for more money for these services to truly serve the people that say, you know what they're gonna tell us, we don't have enough money. Mm-hmm. And here's the corporate tax cut we're going to put into place to go right, with that right. statement. Mm-hmm. Of, no, I'm right. sorry. I'm being sarcastic right. now, which doesn't always come through well on a podcast. But <laughs> it, really concerns me. Here, right? it really concerns mm-hmm. me that we have people that want to cut taxes More. and we're not even sure mm-hmm. if we have enough to pay for this year's budget. So right. it's and very I'm, concerning. I'm not talking about... And education yet, right. or roads and bridges yet, or Department of Corrections, which is up to some fabulous things this year. Or healthcare, I, Medicaid. Right, healthcare, mm-hmm. Medicaid. I've had one small snippet so far of the budget today, and everybody's still saying, please give us more money.
Well, and I will tell you the Appropriations Committee in the Senate has already begun meeting too, which is a little bit earlier than I think they usually do. So I know Senator Hageman has already started meeting with the Appropriations Committee in the Senate. I think it's a little bit early, which is great. I think that he is really trying to get ahead to look at the governor's proposed budget to not just wait for the House to put in their changes, but to figure out what the Senate's priorities will be. So we're appreciative of that. And thank you for always informing us about what's going on in the world of budget, probably the most important thing and the only real job we as legislators have. So we just had a change. Representative Lavender needed to leave the room and go to another meeting, and Senator Carla May is here joining us. So this morning, the Committee on Seniors, Children, and Families met, and we were supposed to talk about two bills today, one on shared parenting, which we'll get to in a minute, and one on SNAP, the food stamp bill for families in need. So changes in both of those areas. And our Shine Theory guest came today. Part of the reason you were here today was to talk about that SNAP bill, Senate Bill 4. Well, and I'm glad I I am going to get the chance to talk about it since we never got there in the hearing. Right. So in the hearing this morning, shared parenting lasted the entire two hours. So we never got to the SNAP bill. And people like Heather came all the way from St. Louis. So she drove two hours. We don't know how many other people were in the audience serving as witnesses on one side or the other that needed to come a long way. But... Tell us about your experience today. Yeah, well, so it was interesting. As you mentioned, I'm also a local elected official, and I, throughout the hearing, kept thinking, if somebody comes to Creve Corps for a council meeting or a public hearing and they want to speak, um, we may limit the time that they could speak, but we make sure that if we have something noticed and that hearing is happening, mm-hmm. that people have that opportunity, and that's if they drove 10 minutes. So it was occurring to me that there mm-hmm. are people in the room that could have driven multiple hours like I well, did. And some people came in because of the weather, because it's winter. Some people came in last night, so they're spending money right, on meals and everything. And it's just like, yeah, that, that bothers me too. Because there was some testimony in the first bill that kind of, I thought, went a little long and could have been shortened to ensure that everybody had an opportunity to speak. So that was the first thing that kind of occurred to me. And I know things work different in state government than in local, but... But it is so frustrating, and it was frustrating knowing that people were out there and that these witnesses needed to have the opportunity to speak, and we needed to have the opportunity to ask questions and to clarify the statements that were being made. So one of the things I've noticed in the Senate, we often get overbooked for our two-hour committee hearings. So Mm -hmm. these controversial bills, especially, it seems as if the sponsor would know to uh, limit the number of bills, and there were only two on the docket today. Them were controversial, and... And two hours is not a particularly long time for a public hearing. Right. right. And then, you know, if it's about managing time, too, because you give an hour to each bill, you know, and we just have to stick to that time frame since we notice each other. I never thought about it that way, but that is a good... Right. It's a problem, and it's a problem because because we are a state government. People do come in from all over the place, and we just happen to have a person this particular person in our office from St. Louis, so two-hour drive. Right, and which isn't bad, but if you're coming from, from southwest mm-hmm. or northeast Missouri, it can be... Mm-hmm. But a two-hour drive for an 8 o'clock a.m. Yeah. hearing right. that you didn't yeah. get to I testify for yet. This I got to Right, I got to looking great, by the way. Right. Yeah, so, so one of the things we want to make notice of is we're not trying to discourage people from coming at all. Mm-hmm. This happens sometimes. Hopefully it doesn't happen that often. I always like to tell the people that I have testifying, if it makes sense to limit your remarks to three minutes, let's do that because especially when we have a lot of people testifying on one side. But the other thing is, 
if you can't come. And I'm sure that we'll hear Senate Bill 4 next week. I don't know if you're going to come back. Yeah, we'll have to look and see if that's possible. If that gets noticed up and if you come back. And if not, if you do provide written testimony and you send it to the committee chair, they're supposed to distribute it to all the members and put your name down as someone who testified in favor or against a particular bill. And certainly in my office, if you bring it to us, we make sure that the chair distributes it and that the chair lists you as someone who was testifying. And I think that's really important, especially now that public hearings are really public after Clean Missouri and that they have to be recorded and that that they're part of the public record. I think it's really important that that written testimony, you ensure it gets in. The members of the committee are online and their emails are online, so I think it's always a good idea to email everyone on the committee if you have a specific viewpoint. It's a great way to make sure or call their offices. We always tell our volunteers at NCJDW to make sure to do that if they can't make the hearing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's great advice always to keep your testimony, if possible, to three minutes, no matter what the topic is, because I think legislators... We're human as well. So they lose their focus. I think any points you can't make in three minutes, people kind of... So before we go on, I just want to pause for a second and remind people that it's really easy to find out how to contact all the legislators on the committee. The people who are on the committee, their names are listed. All the information for the Senate is on a website, senate.mo, as in Missouri, .gov, as in government. Senate.mo.gov, the same is true on the House side, house.mo.gov. So all the information you would want to know about upcoming hearings, about who the legislators are and which committees, about when the committees meet and what bills the committees will discuss, as well as links to the bills themselves. That's all available through those sites. Yes, and some of the sites on the House side, they have audio available too for some of the committee hearings and the floor hearings. If you click on the audio, you can sit and listen to it. So did you want to talk to us today about the SNAP bill while you're here? Yeah, so NCJW, for those who are listening who don't know, we've been around for almost 125 years, and our mission is to improve the lives of women, children, and families. So we do that by coming to Jefferson City and advocating for policies that would be good for women, children, and families, but we also do it through community service. So a lot of people are familiar with our back-to-school store where we outfit about 1,500 children the beginning of the school year, but we also have a community service project called Healing Hearts Bank, which provides small dollar loans to women and families in need. So things like um, when people get those tax bills that they're not suspecting, mm-hmm. so we give, say, $500 loans, so that might be something that, as you guys were talking, I was thinking we might see an influx mm-hmm. um, for. So, so Heather, how would they reach out to NCJW if they needed to apply for that kind of help? So what I'll say is that they can call our office and we can help direct them to an agency they can work through. Okay. And do you want to put the number out for calling your office? Yeah. Our office number is 314-993-5181. Thank you. And you were going to yeah, tell us so about the back so to the three minutes. Bill. No, I'm just <laughs> But anyway, since we work with people who are needing those kind of loans, one of the things that we find is that the SNAP bill would require that participants work 20 hours a week and provide proof that they have worked those 20 hours. And if they don't work 20 hours each week, they can be penalized. So one of the things that we know is that oftentimes the participants in SNAP are working hourly jobs where what happens if their employer doesn't give them 20 hours that week? Or what happens mm-hmm. if they have a child who is ill or they are ill? It's not like 
where I work at a job where I have PTO, and so that week would still count as 40 hours, theirs may not. We've given loans for income recovery. So we had a woman who actually took out a loan at the beginning of like cold and flu season so that she could ensure that she could pay her bills every month for so in case her child her heat got sick. Um, because it was easier to make the monthly payment to us than it was to get hit with a paycheck that was decreased and then not have the money. So we know that this is a thing that Mm -hmm. that happens to people. We also know what childcare costs are and how much it costs for a woman to go to work if even she's got one child. And so there are a lot of issues with having a mandatory Mm 20-hour-a-week work requirement. And and you have to spend time proving that you did that. And let's remember that this is SNAP, which is Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, right? right? So this is food. And you mentioned earlier the penalties if you don't comply. Those are pretty significant penalties. We're going to take food out of the mouths of families. That's exactly what we end up doing. Right. And it's interesting, 70% of SNAP recipients are families with children. So that means mm. 70% of participants who fall That's out right. are going to be families that yeah. have children. This is not a good solution for families in the state of Missouri. And people need to look at what we have is we're retraining people to work in a economy that's moving towards technology that everybody doesn't have the skill set to do. So a lot of people are being retooled. And then everybody in the different communities have a different employment rate than other communities. And you have to look at that. And you're absolutely right. Companies that work people part-time don't always give them the 20 hours a week. And the child care is a huge, huge concern. The other thing that we have to be realistic about is transportation issues. Mm -hmm. That's right. And knowing that in certain areas of our state, the jobs and uh, where people are living are not in the same place. And transportation is not easy. We do a number of loans. Actually, the number two reason we give out loans is for transportation-related reasons. And keep in mind, these are $500 loans. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we're financing somebody's brand new car. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about tires, licensing fees, things like that. Mm -hmm. And we have to let people understand that the penalty is permanent removal. The penalty can be permanent removal. I think that's the third non-compliance. So you may have three different weeks where something happened. In the first week, it's up to 180 days. And it's taking food away from the head of the household. But what happens in your household? Mom is not going to eat. And then the kids are going to get all their food. No, they're going to divide the food among the people in the household. So everyone is going to be undernourished for a significant period of time. And if this happens three times out of a year's period of time, you're going to be cut off from the access to food. And another piece of this is this encourages families to break up. And let me tell you what I mean. If it's a Mm two-parent family and one parent is kicked off, if that parent, and let's say it's the dad, is kicked off, he's encouraged to move so that the rest of the family can still maintain their SNAP benefits. Wherever he goes to, if he's living with someone else they are not allowed to get SNAP benefits in that household. So there's an incentive to break families up in order for families to get the nutrition that they need to go on about their daily lives, to stay healthy, to work a job, to do well in school. And we can talk about how real this is because I just was at a program, the Save Our Sons program, and I listened to this young man who had lost his job, had got a divorce, 
didn't have a place to live, but he had his son. It was him and his son. He came to retool himself mm -hmm. in order to get a job. He didn't have childcare and he didn't have any money for transportation. The program gave him the money that he could catch the bus and the secretary in the building watched his son while Aww. he went through the program. It was such a heart-wrenching story mm -hmm. of people having these challenges. Mm -hmm. And so to issue something that's going to make it more difficult for people, when we're in an economy right now where you have almost 800,000 people furloughed on the federal level, we're headed into a huge depression. Not yeah. only that, we're looking at a United Kingdom who is one of our biggest exporters right now who are having some challenges when they're trying to separate you know, Great Britain from the Union. That's going to interfere with what's happening in the United States and that money that we're getting for those exports. You got to put all of this together and look at right. the economic impact of what is going to happen in our country and in the state of Missouri. So we got to be cognizant of that. I cannot believe how much I don't like this bill. Your parents are who your parents are, or your guardian. You know, you have no choice over, but yet you're going to punish kids. And I can think of nothing that will set a child back more than withholding adequate nutrition and calories from That's them. Right. We know that kids can't learn without proper nutrition. And so I think we're just setting up some kids for long-term failure. And, right. and let me tell you what the unintended consequence of this bill is. So in some districts, I'm just giving it a St. Louis Public School District. So they're based on a number of school children right. who receive free and reduced lunch. Right. And so if 63% of the kids in that school receive free and reduced lunch, they give it to all of the kids. So now this bill will inadvertently affect that because now these children won't be able to get free and reduced lunch. And so that's another burden on the parents. Yeah, they won't qualify because they, they don't qualify. have, because that's how they figure out that's how they, the whole school gets it. That's exactly that's right. right. And that's so right. It, we may lose that free lunch and breakfast at the schools exactly. because of, those kids. as an unintended right. consequence and of this. There's a number of other services that are based on mm -hmm. whether or not a school has what's free and reduced lunch. lunch. Right. Exactly. That and I'm going to tell you, as a single parent, what I call a donut hole for me is, you know, when you're working for the state, you know, you're not at the federal poverty level, but you make enough where they say that you have to pay for lunch every day for your child. So that means I used to have to pay for my son's food every day when he went to school because, you know, they said I made too much, but then it really wasn't too much to cover what I needed to cover, mm -hmm. you know, with the amount that we pay. So it's difficult doing that. And so I am definitely here to tell you that's no easy feat mm -hmm. to come by having the money every day for your child to eat lunch. Right. And I think that that's a really good point is that we're talking about individuals that are, it's not as if anyone is looking to continue, right? We're talking about people who are working, people who want to move on. And this makes that harder. If you have one bad week, you get set back for 180 days. days. So think about that. I think that the federal shutdown with the 800,000 employees that you talked about really brought this to light because what you have heard is, so these people have been without a couple of paychecks now, right? Yes. And many of them, you've heard them on the radio, you've seen them on the news, they, you've read about them in the newspapers. They have had to go to food banks yes. to get food to right. support their families. Yes. They're two paychecks away from needing 
food from a food bank. Mm -hmm, So think about, and these are people who are federal employees. So I'm going to bet you most of these people are Mm full-time employed, and yet everybody is a paycheck or two paychecks away from needing this kind of help. And remember our Republican-led legislature, remember we cut that funding to those food banks. They cut the funding. Yeah, that's what I said. Our Republican-led legislature (laughs) cut the funding. Right. Back in, I think it was 2014 for some, we were, we were arguing about the money that was going to those different food banks. Now those food banks are going to be overwhelmed. And it's approximately 375 people that have not worked and are not receiving a paycheck. And then they got another 480 that's working furlough and not receiving paycheck. Over 800,000 people at this point. And how long has this lasted? Thirty-four days, I want to say today. Exactly. I think that's right. Thirty-four days. Yeah. yeah. So this is, you know, we're headed into a serious crisis, and to bring this bill forward is just adding insult to injury. All that right. So good. we're hopeful yes. that you'll be able to come next week and testify. But if you can't, or if anybody else out there wants to testify or supply written testimony, again. All of our email addresses, the committee people's names are online at senate.mo.gov or house.mo.gov. And certainly you can call any of our offices. Our phone numbers are on there too to get information if you do want to come up here and testify in person to the committee. And we certainly know that that's a big help for people to have a face-to-face opportunity to hear from you. So we appreciate you coming for that today. And Hope you will be back next week. And you were there today in that same committee hearing when we had the other controversial bill that we actually discussed that lasted two hours. That was Senate Bill 14. It is called shared parenting, but it's really about equal parenting. So sharing responsibilities 50-50 mother and father, or it could be, I guess, mother and mother or father and father. But dividing, I call this the Solomon split the baby bill because it's saying we have to divide everything in terms of physical custody down the middle, whether or not that is in the best interest of the child. So it's my opinion that in Missouri, this new law, should it go into effect, would change things so that the first consideration is the parents because they want equal time instead of being the best interest of the child And that's why I just cannot support this bill. But I'm going to open it up and let some other people talk about it. I know we have different opinions on this, perhaps. Well, I don't go into a hearing in favor or against the bill. And I formulate my opinion of the bill by asking questions and getting an understanding of the perspective from each person. So when I heard the arguments against what the two lines said, a rebuttable presumption of 50-50, automatically the question that came to my mind, well, is it not 50-50 now? So to me, that's how I see it. And before the line of the rebuttable presumption being added to the law, it says that the best interest of the child should come first. That's what it says. So the first thing I have to consider is the best interest of the child, to me, how I read it. And to be honest, judges interpret the law. So they're not looking at the law and saying I got to go this order, this order, this order, this order. They're not saying that I have to go in order like this. So I think that if I have two parents that come in my court, I'm going to play like I'm the judge. And these two parents have entered into an agreement because I know I've had situations recently in my family where two people had to sit down with a mediator and agree upon some parenting things because neither one of them could afford an attorney. So the court appointed this person to sit in the room and they came 
together discussing what they were going to do. So they came up with the agreement, and when they took that back in there to the court, that's basically what the judge made a decision on based on that agreement. And there was still some points that they were arguing about, and a lot of it was money. Well, you know, she wanted him to pay child support. And the judge was like, well, you know, she made more money than he did. So that was the thing. So if it's joint custody, the judge was like, you both have equal custody. But he did a lot of other stuff for dividing. So I understand in a concept way of kids having to, you know, you here three days, you here three days, I got you two days, I'm going to have you this holiday, but this person, this family is going to have you the next holiday. But to me, it should already be when you walk in the courtroom and I'm looking at two people, I should be able to say who I have to decide who is 50-50 right now mm -hmm. until I hear different. You get me? So I'm looking at it like this language is basically irrelevant to me based on what I've read in the rest of the law. So, you know, I know we have difficult opinions. Yeah, we're still it's going to be law, and it's, and it's a rebuttable presumption, which is a legal standard that you have to now prove to the court instead of just coming in and talking things through and seeing what might be in the best interest of the child. So, so it really does elevate the desires of the parents above the best interest of the child. So I have meetings set up right Great. now where, you know, I just left one. I ran down. The reason I was late because I was having one with a member of the house about this very bill and you know people been coming by my office all day talking about this committee hearing and so what i've told them is i need to you know talk to somebody in the courts because i need to see how that process is working right now mm -hmm. because to me i don't understand when they say rebuttable presumption it's rebuttable why wouldn't he already have a presumption that is 50 50 because when I'm coming in there, I'm going to have to prove to him that I want sole custody anyway. So, because most of the time when I go into these family courts and divorce, the mother is asking for sole custody all the time. Most of the time, the ones I've seen. And most of the ones that I've seen, the mother has been awarded sole custody. And the father gets the weekend and the mother gets to That's make not sole custody, then. All of the decisions. That's not sole custody if the father gets the weekends. That's shared. And um, the judge decides right now the way the law is what's best for the kid, which right. is... Monday through Friday, maybe mom has a better structure to or get school done or, and that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. So. It is traumatic either way you try to divide yeah, it, I mean, the kids are involved. I think that anytime you're talking about divorce and you're talking about custody, it's always a really difficult situation. It is. I wonder about how it would work with people don't always stay in the same area. Even if you're in the same region in different school That's districts, that was something that was kind of occurring to me is that how right. do you maintain any sort of order or even just normalcy. Oh, right. And what if one parent moves to another state? Right. How does how does that work? In all fairness, I didn't really look at the bill until this morning, but just thinking those were the kind mm -hmm. of questions that I sort of had. Well, those are good questions that we still need to evaluate. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So we will be talking about that and perhaps and likely voting uh, next week. So next usually week. we vote a week after we hear a bill. And there are some specifics about this that the General Assembly had already passed law that finds and declares that it is the public policy of this state that frequent, continuing, and meaningful contact with both parents after the parents have separated or dissolved their marriage is in the best interest of the child except for cases where the court specifically finds that such contact is not in the best interest of the child and that it is the public policy of this state to encourage parents to participate in decisions affecting the health, education, and welfare of their child. It continues on down that path. So I think clearly Missouri law already states very clearly 
that the best interest of the child has to come first and that we believe in shared parenting. We just don't necessarily believe it has to be 50-50 parenting unless somebody can rebut, and usually that takes an attorney. Mm -hmm. So we're putting this family that is not getting along, that is divorced but also can't agree on custody arrangements, we're putting them in a position now where they're going to have to spend money that could be used for other things on fighting each other in court. And we also know that in some divorces, there's vindictiveness. The people are asking for custody, not because they truly want it, but because they want to hurt the other parent. I mean, there are all kinds of things that go on. So the judge has to weave her way through and figure that out. I will say that in 2016, we passed this section, which I find interesting. As between the parents of a child, no preference may be given to either parent in the awarding of custody because of that parent's age, sex, or financial status, nor because of the age or sex of the child. The court shall not presume that a parent solely because of his or her sex is more qualified than the other parent to act as a joint or sole legal or physical custodian for the child. So I think we have done a really good job of trying to say what best fits the needs of this child. We have eight points that the judge has to go through in an order provided in order to figure out what makes sense for that child. And quite frankly, over time, based on the child's age, those arrangements can change from a nursing mom who probably needs to spend a lot more time with the child to kids who say, I want to live with my dad for a while or I want to live with my mom for a while when they get a little bit older and they have the opportunity to do that. So I am pleased with our law. I just want to make it clear, this is a national effort and Missouri is hot on this National Parents Organization's target to be the next state that they turn over and uh, change this law. And there's nothing that has demonstrated to me that a rebuttable presumption is a standard that we should require parents to jump through in order to figure out what's in the best interest of the kid. This is Sorry. A, this is a heavy episode. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, some serious yeah. things. But yeah, we do yeah. have. So, so there are, there's a lot of disagreement. And I'm thinking maybe on the committee, most people were siding with the passage of the bill. But I'm a continue to be a strong opponent. I think it's not in the best interest of the family or the child. Well, when I listen to all the stuff that you read that is in the Missouri law, none of that is being taken out of the law, but you're adding what they call a rebuttable presumption of 50-50. So now that tells me that in Missouri law, shared parenting does not mean 50-50. So shared parenting is left up to the discretion of the judge, where I believe it should be. Of the judge who says that, is that one-sided, and is it fair? That's the question. Because just like, you know, I can, I can hear those arguments, though. If we have been married, and both of us have been parenting these two children, now we decided, because we have a problem, not the children, it's two adults, they can't agree to stay married for whatever reason. That foolishness should not prevent one person from being a parent. Because to oh, be absolutely not. So when it's a presumption of 50-50, you know, I, I mean, that's how I look at it. Because I think that mentally, grown people need to set aside, you know, whatever. Because I can hear an argument of one saying, well, he does this, he does that. But whatever it is, his good and his bad, the children have to accept the good and the bad of both parents. Because neither one of them are perfect. No, but it depends you know? how bad that bad is. And, yeah. you know, in some well, cases like this... If a woman is intimidated and doesn't bring forward that argument in court, that rebuttable presumption, those kids are going to end up 50-50 in a household where maybe they shouldn't be because that's where the judge has to start from instead of starting from her instincts of seeing what's been going on, what does she hear, what does she learn from talking to the parent. So we're going to maybe disagree on this one, but I'm sure there will be others where we agree. Yes. Oh, so today was Sex Trafficking Awareness Day. 
So yes. I, did you speak at that? Uh, yeah, I had yeah. a chance to speak at the rally. Senator Jamila Nasheed, it's the fourth year in a row that she's pulled together this day. And the building was a buzz all day with a bunch of community volunteers and activists from around the state that worked on anti-trafficking measures. So it was a high energy day here. And um, it's just an honor to be included. I So Missouri, I'm really proud of our state. Um, back in 2004, we were one of the early states to put in place the state version of anti-trafficking laws. Yes. And so, you know, we've been at this now for about 15 years. And sometimes I get a little frustrated with how slowly things move in the legislature. But yet when I look back to where I was a Senate staffer back then in 2004, when I look back to where we started out on this issue and where we are now, like, oh my gosh, we have come a long, long way. Yeah. So I'm really um, glad that I have that ability to sort of reflect on that. So events like this just motivate me to kind of keep on like, just moving forward a little bit. If we just move forward a little bit every session, we are going to continue to make things better. Moving the needle. Yeah, fantastic. Yes. So, Heather, you work in this realm too. Isn't yes, so NCJW also has a committee to combat human trafficking, and that committee works through community education and advocating for policy change. And so, one of the things that's always interesting to me is this is one place where the legislature really comes together and has identified that minors who are engaging in prostitution or people who are being forced, who have been coerced or some way that there's some fraud, that these people really need to be treated as victims. And I think that there has become a real understanding in the building of what a survivor of human trafficking, what that means, and that there really is a need not to re-victimize those survivors. I know there's a hearing that's going to start in just a few minutes from when this is being recorded that would ensure that minors don't face criminal charges and things like that. So, and I think about just the movement that's taken place in the last just four or five years right. on trafficking bills. And when you think about the pace that lots of things move in this building, to see that kind of, of movement is really, it makes you feel good. Thank you so much for that. Heather Silverman, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you have to get to a committee hearing. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. This has been a great honor. All right, and you'll hear us again soon at Heads Up Missouri. We're here every week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Heads Up Missouri. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on all the issues you need to know about. You can access all of our episodes on our website, headsupmissouri.com, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Let us know what you thought about today's episode by tweeting at headsupmo. Thanks again to bensound.com for providing the podcast music.